Okay. Well, tonight I would like to talk about harmlessness. And I'd like to talk about it um, coming from a very humbled perspective. (laughs) As uh, someone who's experienced it firsthand and someone who's caused it. And this has been a topic that's been really up for me. And so I'd like to share with you just a few of my own reflections as I've been um, contemplating this topic for the last few months. And harmlessness is a subject that the Buddha talked quite a bit about. Uh, In fact, I would say it's really at the root of all of his teachings. Whether it's about harmlessness uh, towards ourselves or being harmless in the world. When I reflect on it um, and, and really think about you know, why it's such a big deal to be harmless. And uh, I, I come up thinking it's actually quite an amazing thing that we as humans have the capacity to be harmless, meaning that we have this ability to be aware enough, conscious enough, that we wish not to be harmful to other people or ourselves. That's a big deal. And although we might see it in the animal kingdom, I'm not sure, I'm not so sure how conscious animals are or not when they're uh, choosing to be kind to one another. Where humans, I feel there's, we can certainly say there's this ability And it's really quite amazing to reflect on it in that way. The flip side of that is, well, why aren't we just harmless all the time if we're so evolved? (laughs) Well, if we were harmless all the time, then I guess the Buddha really wouldn't have had much to instruct us about. The Four Noble Truths wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense. So his first uh, teaching, the Four Noble Truths, saying, look, there's this suffering, and there's a reason that we suffer, and it's because of our wanting and clinging uh, for things to be different than they actually are. And really what he's pointing out is that this clinging and wanting is harmful, that we're actually at the root of our own harm, our own dukkha, our own suffering, our own stress. And this is a really powerful statement that he makes, and one that has rippled out through the centuries. And it's what brings us here. It's our... Consciousness 
our awareness on some level that things are messy, (laughs) that things don't always go that great, that we experience this suffering, this stress, this dis-ease. And so he lays out this path, this teaching on how to remedy that. And this is the Eightfold Path. And I may or may not tonight refer back and forth a little bit, um, reflecting on that Eightfold Path. Uh, I think actually what I'd like to do first is read to you Uh, something that the Buddha said that's in the Dhammapada about harmlessness. And this is something that I've been reading over and over again before my meditations as of late because I find it um, is very helpful for me in directing my attention towards harmlessness and what it ultimately means. And he says this, All beings tremble before violence, all fear death, and all love life. See yourself in others. Then whom can you hurt? What hurt can you do? He who seeks happiness by hurting those who seek happiness will never find happiness. So he who seeks happiness by hurting those who seek happiness which is all of us, will never find happiness. For your brother is like you. Your sister is like you. He wants, she wants to be happy. Never harm him or her. And when you leave this life, you too will be happy. You will find happiness. So what he's pointing at is the, the root, the reason why we have this ability of compassion and empathy and harmlessness, which is that there is this recognition on two different levels. One, that when we hurt another person, uh, we feel that. If you reflect on it, it probably doesn't take much to think of a time where you said something or you did something that you knew instantly, oh, I can't believe I just said that, or I can't believe I just did that. That And seeing the hurt or knowing the hurt that you just caused for another person because of those words or those actions. We see it, we feel it, and it doesn't feel good. That's the dukkha. We also recognize that when we hurt others in some way, even if we can't see it, even if they don't even know that your intentions were harmful, that we hurt ourselves. So on a global scale, we see this with the environment, how we take care of our earth. So if we're not paying attention that closely, we can easily 
throw something out the window or um, ignore our recycling bin and maybe not really see a direct effect immediately. But if you have the knowledge that what you're doing does, in fact, impact our earth, there's something in us that kind of twinges. There's some responsibility that we feel towards uh, our community. And this is sometimes felt on a great level, especially when we see things, uh, for example, the, the weather changing what we're seeing on the East Coast right now. And it's hard uh, to, when we hear the reports that this is caused in some way by global warming, not to feel somewhat connected to that. It doesn't mean we have to take it on our shoulders as, you know, boy, I should have done more recycling or I should really take my bike more. But it allows us to reflect and feel connected to something larger than ourselves or even our direct community. This is a wonderful human capacity just to be able to do that. I think that that quote that I just read as far as Reflecting on the fact that we and the people around us share a commonality that we love life, but we're also uh, fearful creatures. We're afraid of death, he says. And um, we do things out of this fear of mortality. We act in ways that sometimes seem unforgivable. And when we can reflect and see that commonality, the way that people react and respond to things in a way that sometimes just seems so irresponsible, and yet see that potential in ourselves, again, we're able to connect with this idea that we are a part of that. I can see someone's actions as being my own actions. I don't say that lightly. I don't think it's actually that easy to do. (laughs) But recently, um, I found myself in a situation where I was parked. I was sitting in my parked car up on university. And this woman came in behind me and hit my car as <laughs> she was parking. And I got really angry, and I got out, and I couldn't believe it just happened. And I came out and said, did you just hit my car? And she's saying, yes, I just hit your car. And I looked at it, and the car was actually fine. She just barely bumped me. But I was really upset. <laughs> and then... You know, I was trying to be gracious and um, somewhat polite and let her know, well, okay, it's all right. And I got in my car and she left. And as I was backing out, I hit her car. (laughs) 
I bumped it. I got out and checked and nothing was wrong, but I did the same thing. (laughs) I was so quick to blame her for her mistake, which, you know, you can cause damage doing mistakes. But I did the exact same thing. Her capacity as a human was my capacity of a human. We're hopelessly flawed. And when we can be in touch with that, uh, there's this great capacity for compassion and empathy and maybe a deeper understanding of harmlessness. I was uh, recently teaching a small group of uh, middle schoolers up at Spirit Rock. And one of the evenings that we were together, uh, we were reflecting on how our actions affect each other. And it was amazing what these kids came up with. Uh, And one of the things that a student shared with the rest of us was this imagery of uh, standing at a very still pond and throwing a rock in the pond and then watching as the ripples beat outwards from that contact of the rock in the water and saying that this is like our actions. We do something and then there's this ripple effect. So we talked about it further and I shared with them what I was thinking um, uh, off of that reflection from this middle schooler, which was, imagine that we were all standing around that pond, and it's a fairly large pond. You can imagine everyone in this room right now standing around this beautiful, still pond. And if we all threw a rock in the water and how all of us begin to create these waves or these ripples that go outward, 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 and how those ripples will then eventually collide with each other. And I think this is really how we are in the world. Our actions affect each other. So our ripples are constantly coming up against someone else's ripples. And we feed off of each other in that way. Our actions have effects. In a light way, this is somewhat of a reflection on karma, cause and effect. My action causes this. And that, in some, you know... With somebody else, that action might then cause them to do something else. And it goes on and on. So we're not to take our actions lightly. In fact, in the Eightfold Path, uh, this is one of the key factors of the path. Our wise action, reflecting on our wise action being very, very aware of how our 
actions in the world affects others, but also then how that affects us. One of the things that I noticed with these middle schoolers was their perception on their action. So some of them felt really justified in actions that hurt others. And I'm sure we can all relate to that as adults, that sometimes actions that seem hurtful to others may also feel very justified from our point of view. And so one of the things that we have to be careful of is our perception on our actions. Sometimes we think that we're doing the right thing. Sometimes we are so uh, zeroed in on what we hope the result to be that we're quite clueless to what the actual repercussions may be. As an extreme example, I was talking to a very dear friend about perception and action just recently. And this is someone whom I feel is a wonderful example of a generous heart and well-developed practice. But he came from a pretty difficult upbringing. And he lived in a really rough area growing up. And he was telling me that when he was a teen, he would uh, go out with his friends on the weekend and he would be packing a gun to go wherever he was for safety. And he felt that this was a really good idea and he was being very, very responsible in doing it because he knew he was going to places that possibly could be quite violent uh, and he felt the need to protect himself and to protect his friends. And he did this for a long time. And one day his mother realized what he was doing and I also know her as well a very sweet, good mother, turned to her son and said, Son, why don't you just not go to those places (laughs) that you feel you need to bring a gun? And he was telling me about this laughing now because it's so different from his current reality. But he said that then, when she said that, it almost didn't make sense that well, why wouldn't I go to these places? I'm protected. (laughs) I'm prepared. And I think it's a great example, although maybe a little extreme, although certainly within people's realities, uh, that sometimes our perception on what we're doing, the action that we're taking, is very justified and wise (laughs) because we're seeing it from a place of ignorance. And sometimes even when wisdom comes in to point it out, we don't recognize it. And I'm sure we've all had those moments. I know a wise teacher who said, uh, not just recently in a talk on a different subject, but I think it's quite relative, re- relevant, uh, that we, we tend to know what we know And there's also the things that we know we don't know. But the place where we get in trouble are the things we don't know we don't know. Our ignorance. (laughs) Or just our lack of wisdom. 
And so in the teachings, the Buddha is constantly pointing this out to various characters throughout the suttas. They think there many people come to him feeling quite wise and knowledgeable, and it doesn't take very long for him to just point out that their perception on the world is not quite accurate. And these are really just meant to be examples for us of our own perceptions on the world and how we think how we think we are. And he's saying, just look a little closer. Pay attention just a little bit more. And you may or may not find that your actions are wise. And it's a very humbling experience. And sometimes one that we'd much rather not see. (laughs) But really, this is where our growth is. This is where uh, our freedom comes from. Being able to see our habits, our urges in our actions and learn from those. Our intentions, of course, then, are incredibly important. And one way to practice being mindful of our actions is actually seeing what's at the root of those actions. What is our intention? What's our attitude going into this action? Sometimes it's very clear. We're very clear about what our intention is. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's multi-layered. Maybe at the surface it feels right. And then the closer you look, you might notice, well, there's a tinge of fear here. Or anger or self-doubt, or whatever. It can be not so clear. And other times, our intentions are downright harmful. (laughs) We know it, and we do it anyway. I've had those moments where I know I'm about to say something, and I'm saying it to be mean. And I can watch it come up, and I see it, and I think, I really shouldn't say it, and I can't help myself, and I say it anyway. It's such a human characteristic to just not have quite enough self-control to bite the tongue (laughs) when it's needed. How many of you have experienced something like that? Oh, good. (laughs) Humbling. Very humbling. We have this capacity. Again, it's it's why I'm giving a talk on Harmlessness. It's why I can give a talk on harmlessness. Because we have this capacity as humans to be very harmful. So our intentions are key, or one of the key factors to our action. Sometimes, though, our actions happen so fast So something bothers us, something angers us. We are triggered, and our action just comes habitually right with that trigger. 
they're almost like one and the same. These often are our most painful, humbling moments when we react out of pure habit. Maybe even just out of primal instinct. And we're really not conscious of our actions in these moments. We really don't have choice in these moments. There's a feeling of helplessness. I see this a lot working with kids, of course, where someone says something to them and they punch, or someone pushes them and they swear at them, or whatever. And when you ask them to reflect on it, it is just one and the same. Well, they did this, so I did that. Well, did you think about it? Well, no, I just did it. (laughs) It's almost like there wasn't even an option to think about it. I just did it. And as adults, we're not that much different. As practitioners, we start to develop this ability to possibly catch ourselves. But it's not that easy. It's a skill that we have to cultivate, we have to learn. And this is where the practice of mindfulness begins to flower in our life. It's where our practice on the cushion becomes alive in our day-to-day interactions with other people and events. It's creating that space between those stimuluses and what we'd like to do about it. (laughs) It's that pause of reflection. What are my choices here? Am I really so helpless that I have to react in this habitual way? Do I have to react in fear and anger? Do I have to shrink because I'm doubtful and I don't believe in my own strength? Are these really my only options? And mindfulness begins to open a different conversation, internal conversation, that no, there just might be something else that can be done. Now, wise action is not a black and white conversation. As we know in life, things are often in the gray area. Should I act? Should I not? What's the right thing to do? And so really reflecting on our intentions, what we know to be the ripple effects And what our choices are will help us find our way, but we're fallible. (laughs) We're imperfect, so we make mistakes. And so the practice of forgiveness, I think, goes hand in hand with wise action and harmlessness, the practice of harmlessness. Because we are imperfect, Like I said, if we weren't, there'd be no reason to be here. There'd be no reason to even reflect on the topic. 
But we forget that. We're really hard on ourselves. We're often our worst critics. Or if we aren't, then, you know, our, we have a family member or a friend or a colleague that will point it out for us. <laughs> it can be really tough. It can feel really rough. We're going into holiday season, <laughs> which I don't know about you, but it brings up all kinds of things. It brings out the joys of life and celebration and stress and rushing and hardship. Oftentimes, holidays are spent with other people, and so we're constantly interacting and our actions are rippling off of each other <laughs> in beautiful, positive ways and other ways that really tick us off. Tick us off. And how are we going to handle that? How are we going to be with that? It's also a time where if we don't have people to be around, that it can be a place of doubt, fear, and sadness for our situation for ourselves, and there can be a lot of self-harm going on. And so this practice of forgiveness and kindness and compassion goes hand-in-hand hand with the practice of harmlessness as we muddle our way through. I think that one of the beautiful things about harmlessness when we begin practicing it and become more and more attuned to it, our own actions and our uh, fallibilities that there's a power in harmlessness. So we begin to notice that when we react in ways that is more of a mindful response, there's this feeling of inner power, inner empowerment, that we're able to stand in something that isn't necessarily the easiest choice, but it is the conscious choice. It's the compassionate choice. And there's something in us that stands a little bit taller when that happens. And so when we do mess up, it's actually a gift to see the other side of it. So we're able to notice and learn, well, when I act in fear and anger, I, may, I might feel justified and up for a moment, but actually, the repercussions often have us uh, feeling disconnected, um, self-doubt, or doubt in the people that we were interacting with. So it doesn't feel so great. But it's such a gift to be able to see that so that we can then choose and begin to... Uh, redirect our habits towards more harmless action. There's a story, 
I'm not sure if I fully remember all the details, but it's a Jataka tale, which is a series of almost fairy tales of reincarnations of the Buddha. And they're meant to be um, playful. And in this one, uh, it's said that the Buddha was a forest bull, I think, or a, a, a buffalo, a forest buffalo. And he's in the forest minding his own business, and this monkey comes along. And the monkey is mischievous and likes to get into trouble. And he starts picking on this bull, who's the Buddha. And he's tickling the Buddha and pushing the Buddha and trying to push his buttons. But the bull, the buffalo, just stands there and is patient. And then a forest sprite comes along and says, you're a lot bigger than this other guy. Why don't you do something? Why don't you scare him? Scare the monkey. You could do that easily. And the buffalo says, no. By hurting him, I hurt myself. By hurting him, I hurt my own inner peace. And he goes on to explain that it would be really easy, he knows, to scare this monkey off. But he's afraid that by doing so, he might hurt this monkey. He reflects further, saying, maybe this monkey doesn't have a friend. And that's why he's reacting in this way. Maybe he's having a really hard time. Maybe that's what's going on. So I can just be patient. And I can be compassionate and stand here strong. And the story goes that the monkey hears this and comes down out of the tree and is really surprised by what he heard. The actions, the strength of this buffalo really affects him, that kindness and compassion. And so he goes to the buffalo and he says, Hey, sorry about that. (laughs) Thank you so much for what you said. And he then vows to practice along a lifetime of patience. And so takes this on to as to be the example that the buffalo was for him. And in this way, our harmless actions have that type of ripple effect. So when we act in harmlessness in the most difficult times, when it would be so much more simple or easy to react out of fear and anger, those are the times that have the greatest ripple effects within ourselves and the people that we're interacting with, or the people that are just observing our actions. We see this in the compassionate warriors like Gandhi and Thich Nhat Hanh and Martin Luther King, uh, Nelson Mandela. These are people who uh, went to the side of compassion and harmlessness, using that as 
their ground, their anchor, in times when it would have been really justified from the outside world to react in a different way. But their ripple effects continue throughout time now and even studied because they chose a different path, a conscious path of harmlessness. And this, is, too, is what the Buddha did. There's that famous quote of Gandhi to, let's see if I have it right, to be, to be the way you wish the world would be, or what is it? Be the change that you wish to see in the world. That's it. Be the change you wish to see in the world. He doesn't say that flippantly. He says that out of strength and out of his own action, his own example of action, of harmlessness. And the wonderful thing is, is these aren't superheroes. The Buddha wasn't a superhero. They were people. And sometimes I think, well, I couldn't really do that. And maybe that's true. I don't really think of myself as a Gandhi or a Martin Luther King. (laughs) I don't think I've proven myself in that way. But I do feel that capacity of harmlessness and how I can apply that simply in my own life how I can feel the power of that in my own life. And it's something that we can all do. Even in the most simple ways. I have an invasion of ants right now (laughs) in my office. (laughs) I have no idea where they're coming from. I can't figure out where the entrance hole is, and I have no idea where they're going. They're just around And I'll be at my computer, and they'll be climbing on my arm, and they get into, you know, whatever I left the night before, (laughs) food-wise. And it's just really annoying. (laughs) And um, I killed a few the other day. And I felt, being in this practice of non-harming, I actually really felt it. And I've practiced in ways, especially uh, on retreat, where... You're really instructed not to kill, not to harm, and bugs are included in that. So if you go to Spirit Rock, they're very specific about that. And you can think about it. Well, you know, it's just an ant. How, I mean, I know there's a hundred of them in my office alone. How is killing an ant going to make any kind of difference? And I don't know that it makes a difference in the world, but I noticed it made a difference in myself. Just being conscious of what I was doing, I could feel that weakness within myself. And so then the other day, I caught myself really wanting to squash (laughs) an ant on my desk, and I stopped myself, and I thought, what would it be like if I just didn't do that? And so I made this conscious effort all day not to squish the ants. And I'll tell you, I felt real inner power about that. I could feel it in myself. 
just because I was taking this conscious action of non-harming, as simple as not squishing an ant, which really, on a global scale, not sure if it makes a big difference. But boy, did it make a difference within myself. It was really quite amazing. So we can do this ourselves. We can... uh, empower ourselves with a practice of non-harming. And I encourage you to find some way that makes sense for you in your life. Um, Make it relevant to you. And also carry along side by side with that non-harming practice, that forgiveness practice the ability to see our fallibilities and offer forgiveness. And I have a forgiveness meditation that I think I'll just end with. And maybe what we'll do is do a call and response. So if this is something that you feel might be useful for you right now, maybe there's something that you can think of that needs some forgiveness, forgiveness for yourself, forgiving someone else, or asking forgiveness. We'll go through all three. Uh, Or you can follow along and say it with me just to feel the spirit of forgiveness, which really isn't a heavy, restricted experience The experience of forgiveness is really this open, expansive experience. So hopefully you'll get a taste of that. Or if you're feeling forgiveness is not something you can do right now, then just listening is just fine as well. And you can come to it in your own time. So I'm going to start it, uh, a forgiveness for ourselves. So you can just repeat after me if you wish. For any way that I have caused harm to myself, knowingly or unknowingly, in thought, word, or deed, because of fear, Anger or confusion. I offer forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. For any way that I have caused harm to another, knowingly or unknowingly, in thought, word, or deed, because of fear, anger, or confusion, I ask forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. For any way that I have been harmed by another, Knowingly or unknowingly, 
in thought, word, or deed. Because of fear, anger, or confusion. I offer forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. So those are just a few of my reflections on non-harming. It's such a beautiful topic and actually wasn't even sure in what direction it would take tonight. Uh, There's things that I left out that just means that you'll have your own exploration. And um, I do want to open up to questions. We have just about 10 minutes for questions, if you have them. Um, or your own inner wisdom, if you'd like to share any comments and your own reflections on the topic. So I have a, a microphone that will pass around to help people who are unable to hear. Um, yeah, thank you. So if you have a question, you can just raise your hand. about cockroaches what about cockroaches yeah because i heard if you don't get the cockroach it will get you like because if you like lay on it it will bite you uh-huh. or you're like you know you don't expect it flies in your hair yeah like i just came from hawaii so i mean cockroaches yeah yeah <laughs> i've experienced cockroaches i spent some time in asia and they grow big there <laughs> and i know uh yeah You know, that's the interesting thing about the topic. Like I said, it's not black and white. And really, the practice of non-harming isn't one where someone from the outside is saying, you should do this to be a good person. It's actually coming from within. It's your own guidance, really feeling and being present with what is it like to kill the cockroach? How does that feel? It feels gross. (laughs) What is it like to catch it and release it? Or to just let it be there? It might be the same reaction. It feels gross. But it's something to investigate. So that's all that this is, is this practice of investigation, seeing for yourself, and, and using something like the experience of sharing your space with a cockroach. How does that inform my harmlessness so it's not a direct answer on what to do in that situation but rather uh, use it as an exploration mm-hmm. you're welcome um, hi um, you talked about the ripples and you know bumping into each other and our, our ripples bumping into someone else's and uh, my teacher uh, taught me a phrase that I use sometimes during meditation is, uh, as I am, so are others. As others are, so am I. Mm. And I find that uh, uh, really helpful when I bump heads, bump ripples with somebody else. So, yeah, thank it's you. beautiful. Thank you. There's one in the back.
Well, I thought I'd continue on the insect theme. <laughs> um, I, I live in a house in uh, in a really woodsy area, and when we first moved there, I mean, there were just daddy long legs every place, and I was into clearing out the cobwebs. And then um, at some point, I started to uh, not like how I felt about doing that, and um, so... Now we have a lot of cobwebs and, and daddy long legs in the house, but I've come to really love them, and I see, you know, I, I see how they're catching other insects who might be harmful to us, and that they, they are providing food. And I also recognize how here we as human beings have built this house in this these woods that were home to all of these creatures, and that I'm really just probably an unwelcome guest here. And it, it just, so from this small thing, it can really expand how you're thinking about many larger things. Yeah. Thank you. Interconnectedness. It becomes this amazing reflection on interconnectedness. So I'm wondering... Um, are there any teachings about defending yourself? I mean, in, in terms of um, being in a, uh, a terrible situation or somebody attacking you or confronting you or whatever. Yeah. What's, is there anything in the teachings about that? Or where there, do you stop and where do you start kind of thing? Yes, there is. In fact, um, there's an article that Gil Fronsdale wrote. It's on the IMS or IMC, Insight Meditation Center website. And I think it's entitled Harmlessness or, or some Non-Harming, something like this. And he talks about how uh, the suttas, the teachings, are full of teachings about how to be non-harming. But then he points out it's really interesting what's not in there. And um, he goes on this little riff about how there's all these very, very specific examples on certain actions not to take. Uh, one of them that's completely missing is hitting. <laughs> and that hitting is actually not anywhere in the uh, um, suttas on uh, behavior. And... Um, and he found that very interesting. I found it, his reflections very interesting on that. And then it goes further into, you know, when uh, defending oneself is appropriate. And that, and this was somewhat related to the hitting in the sense that monks and nuns were not allowed to ha- arm themselves with weapons. But they could defend themselves uh, and so that maybe that was where the there was no restriction of using your hands and and pushing away and hitting, and that as long as you're you weren't filled with hate or I think it was something like um, displeasure for what was happening, <laughs> then it was fine to respond in this way to defend yourself and also taking uh, action to flee was was 
something that was written about. So they monks and nuns were not expected to stand their ground, actually, in the face of mortal danger. Um, that they, it was recommended to get out of there <laughs> with the idea of that was actually causing less harm because they weren't coming face-to-face with combat. And so we're, they weren't causing harm to themselves, and they weren't allowing others to harm them. So in that way, it was an action of non-harming. But there's lots and lots of suttas about non-harming and very specific instructions and um, just a lot of detail as to what is appropriate and, and what would be considered harmful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jim. One of the um, most surprising teachings from the Dalai Lama I came across in, I think it was one of the Mind Life books, um, Mind Life seminar books, I think Daniel Goleman's Destructive Emotions, mm-hmm. perhaps, where the topic comes up and the Dalai Lama is talking about how gentle or not gentle to be and what conditions you would be gentle in. He talk, he's talking about teaching people, and he says, I'm going to get this wrong, I'm sure, I don't know what the words are exactly, but the, he says there's four different levels that you are. One is you just sort of offer an example, and the and the the eager, mindful student will pick it up and run with it. And the next level is you do teaching, and then the next level is you, it takes a little bit more reprimanding and discipline and and so on. And the fourth level is is kind of a, I think he uses the word fierceness or something like fierceness, um, where it, it's almost like you really have to get um, yeah, a little fierce, a little, little, little rough even, perhaps. And, you know, coming from the Dalai Lama, and, you know, he's, he's chuckling as he's saying it, and there's always a gentleness, and there's never a meanness, and there's never a wanting to cause harm. It's always wanting to make sure that there's, there's growth here, and it's done out of kindness. Mm-hmm. But, but he says there's, there's sort of is a level of, a ra- range of levels of way to respond to different, different um, people that you're working with. Yeah. And actually, when you reflect on just how uh, figureheads such as Martin Luther King or even the Dalai Lama um, or Gandhi, uh, there's a fierceness. They're incredibly compassionate and they live by the laws of non-harming, but they're fierce about it. And I think that sometimes that there is, it's that power of being able to respond in this way that is coming from absolute compassion, but at the same time is saying no. And I think that in our practice as Buddhists, sometimes we think, you know, we're here, we come and we sit and we meditate, and there's this peacefulness about it, and there's kind of this way that we are when we're here, and um, it's very polite, it's very kind, which is wonderful, and what a great space to be able to be in uh, during the week. Uh, but there's also room for this fierceness, to be able to stand up for what's wise and what's compassionate. Uh, compassion in action 
is a whole movement that uh, I know there are many teachers in this Buddhist community, uh, in the insight community, that really practice that and have made it a big, a large part of their life where there's, it's activism, but it's based in compassion, compassionate action, and there's a fierceness about it. I think the people that we really revere, we see that, we feel it. We even want that a little bit, that fierceness, that bravery to choose conscious compassion rather than that unconscious, habitual way of being that a lot of us in a lot of the world is. And so it is, it's a fierceness. And not, it's not something that we as practitioners have to shy away from, to get in touch with our ability to not harm <laughs> the daddy long legs. And that there is, there's this power within that, being able to connect and be a part of something, a part of nature. Uh, there's, there's fierceness even in that. So we're at time. Um, I'll stay up a little bit longer if you have other questions. I think there were a few more hands. Um, but I would like to thank everyone just for your attention and uh, your wisdom that you shared, those of you who shared it. And I just really enjoy, I always really enjoy coming and speaking here at the Sangha. So thank you very much. Um, I'll dedicate the merit and then ring the bell and we'll be complete. And this fits right along with our practice of non-harming. So may the goodness of all of us coming here and practicing together, may it not just be for ourselves, but for all beings. May it benefit all who we interact with. May all beings be happy. May they be safe. May they be healthy. And may they be at ease. So thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.